everyone, this is Jessica Chen, and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible, and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Today's episode is about the power of DEI and communications. My guest is Kelsey Bartfield, and she is head of inclusion and employee development. And she's also a fellow LinkedIn learning instructor where she has a fantastic course about building inclusivity in the workplace. We're going to be talking about why it's important to integrate DEI and having that thoughtful mindset in our communications, how we can amplify DEI in the workplace, and also how can we as individuals build a more inclusive environment. We all play a huge role in that. We have so much to talk about. Let's get into it. Hi, Kelsey. How are you doing? Good, Jessica. How are you? I'm great. So Kelsey, for those who are not familiar with you, the work that you do, and I'm just going to give a shout out right now, you are a fellow LinkedIn learning instructor, and you have a fantastic course on inclusivity. But even before that, can you share a little bit about who you are, the work that you do, and how you even got started? Yeah, and congrats on your 10th LinkedIn learning course. That is no easy feat to write and publish those. I'm working on my second one right now as well. And it is a lot of work. So congrats, super exciting. Um, Yeah, so a little bit about me. I've been working in the DEI and learning and development, also known as L&D space for about the last 10 years. Um, As Jessica was saying, there's a lot of layoffs, especially in our line of work. So I'm actually one of the people also impacted um, by that as well. So a lot of changes in our industry, but I've mostly been working in tech. So I've worked everywhere from really big companies like Google and Activision Blizzard, the video game company to midsize and startups as well, looking at how we can make our workplaces more inclusive and continue to develop those different skill sets for employees from the L&D side. And I guess in terms of what got me started on this road. I've always been super interested in these topics. Um, I have a degree in sociology, so I studied these in college. So I was taking classes on everything from women in the workplace to LGBTQ plus studies to the sociology of AIDS. I mean, just everything and learning more about all of our different groups and how we can be more inclusive and supportive. And so when I started working in L&D, I came in and started working on things like manager training and was looking at our group of managers there and thinking, this is a lot of white dudes, right? Like it's just a room full of white dudes. And these are the ones that are getting pushed up into manager roles. And why are they the only ones that are getting these opportunities and how can we change that? And so that's how I started incorporating some of those DEI principles that I started to continue to educate myself on. Um, continuing on from from my degree and just kept running from there. What I love about you and your work, Kelsey, is you just call it out. You know, when you see something, you know, when you see something like, wait a second, this is there's something wrong with this picture here. You're like, wait a second, we need to do something about this. And this is this actually kind of brings me to one of the first things I want to talk about, which by the way, you know, Kelsey, you mentioned that 
you have also been affected by the layoffs that are happening, right? And I'm sure, and I don't know for the folks who are on this right now, I don't know if you all are, you know, in the L&D space, let us know, let us know if you are in the L&D space or in the DEI space, or if you are just here just to learn, throw it into the chat function. We'd love to know what is your hope and that you will essentially get out of this conversation, just so we kind of also have an idea. Are you just here to learn or just connect? It's okay, just let us know. But, you know, Kelsey, you mentioned that you've been affected by the layoffs and, you know, you and I were talking behind the scenes about how, for me, I was like, you know, when I, even today, I was reading headlines about these layoffs and I'm like, you know what, it makes it even more important that we're having this conversation because as companies are thinking about, okay, who can we, cut who can we eliminate it doesn't mean the conversation stops if anything it has to keep going and one of the one of my hopes with this event and i'm just going to share it with you all is i believe we all individually can play a proactive role in also creating this environment this inclusive environment whether we are working in for example l d or not and i do think there's a, a whole bunch of communication strategies that are involved in this. But before we even dive into that, Kelsey, I want to kick off our conversation today by let's just lay the foundation, right? So we are in a time where, yes, there are some cuts happening. You know, a lot of L&D, DEI spaces are being eliminated. So as individuals, in your opinion, how can we continue to, as individuals, as individual contributors in the workplace, how can we continue to think about inclusivity, even if we're not getting necessarily the, the corporate like initiative trainings anymore? How can we think about that? Yeah, I mean, there are so many ways that every individual person can impact the environment that we work in as a company. And it doesn't just come from the people in roles like myself. Yes, I'm there to build structural programs mm -hmm. and help support and push them forward. But it takes the action of every individual employee and how you treat others every single day. Yeah. That's what creates that inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. It's not just me standing up on a podium shouting things at everybody and trying to get them to follow. You really have to stand up and say, hey, you know, I saw this thing in this meeting, rub me the wrong way or stand up, whatever it is. Like you have to use your voice and continue to educate yourself and see, oh my gosh, that was totally an unconscious bias of mine that I just had. And I made that assumption, or I just called the only black woman in the room by the wrong name. That's not okay. Let me, you know, correct that and make a more conscious effort about paying attention to the words that are coming out of my mouth, like eliminating these microaggressions, understanding what they are, how you're interacting with people, all that stuff impacts the experience of every employee in the company. It really does. And but I'm looking at the comments that are coming in and, you know, I see some folks who are here who say they're, they're just, they just want to learn. And I think that is so fantastic. The fact that you all are here, you are taking the time away to really be a part of this conversation to me, it just makes me so happy. I'm sure Kelsey, it's, you probably feel the same way, just knowing that people are here just to educate themselves. So one of the interesting things, and I had this conversation with somebody not too long ago, because we live in a time right now where, you know, we are learning about these things, yet a lot of people now are afraid that if they say something, it's going to have this huge backlash or it's going to be deemed incredibly inappropriate, even though it was not intentional. Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on how can people, should they be afraid of saying what's on their mind, but how can they do so 
while being sensitive. And I think that that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to mention is like this sensitivity, like how can we be better and more sensitive communicators in the workplace and not necessarily just not say anything because we're afraid all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so let's use the example of if you have two black women on a team and then it's surrounded by a bunch of white people besides them. And if you accidentally call one of them by the other person's name, which is an entire unconscious bias thing that we don't have time to get into. So instead of then going on this big ramble to correct yourself and stumble, and then you kind of end up making it about you because you're going on this apology train. I'm so sorry. I did not mean that, you know, and then call them by the correct name. And then you just kind of move on. Right. So instead of, I think a lot of people become so afraid that they just start going on this ramble that then becomes about them. And it just goes, it snowballs and becomes way too much. It's just acknowledging and making the better effort going forward and moving on with that. Um, So I think that's something really specific that you Mm -hmm. can do. I think there's a lot of people, I know it's this, this whole cancel culture thing. And I've sat in a room of all white men executives and had a two hour training on privilege. And it has been very eye-opening because they've just said, I'm too afraid to partake in this area because I'm afraid of cancel culture and I don't know what to do and I don't want to say the wrong thing, which, hi, that's a perfect example of privilege. We have the ability as people with privilege to not partake in that, right? Like I can choose to sit back and, and not partake in these things, but you know, you can't change your ethnic background or your gender, like you show up as you are and you're going to experience those microaggressions that I'm not going to experience in the same way. And there's nothing you can do to hide from that. So I need to not hide behind my privilege and step up and say, I'm going to use my privilege to step up and help others. If someone makes a microaggressive comment towards you in this chat or in a meeting or in a call, I can step in as an ally to you and say, shut it down, right? Like that's not okay and be that partner for you and to support you in that. So I think it's learning specific tools that you feel comfortable to use and can continue to push through that fear and utilize that privilege in ways to create that more inclusive work environment. Maybe it's a really simple example of, is your office going to have some kind of social event, right? You're gonna have a party, especially in the tech, it's usually a bar and drinking, right? And after work hours, like that's just generally what they do. Well, maybe this employee will come step up and say, hey, um, to make this more inclusive, do you think we could have this during work hours? Because there's a lot of people that are caregivers for other people, children, elders, whatever that is, and they don't have the time to be able to go to a bar after work, or maybe they don't want it centered around drinking to go Mm -hmm. and do that at five o'clock. And if you're not able to partake in that, you are missing out on some of those little social connections and networking, which then impacts your ability to get promotions and stretch assignments down the line. So you see, it's all the same people that are able to go to these events that are then kind of moving up the ladder. So a really simple thing you could do is go and step up to the people that are going to plan this event and say, hey, bring that to their attention. Can we do this differently? Can we do it during the workday? Can we do it at the office? Can we do it in a place that has different types of activities besides just drinking? Um, Can our families come? Whatever it is like that, there's very specific things that you can do to have an impact. 
And I do think it's sometimes easy for us to just default, right, to what's easier or what we have done before. And sometimes it takes just one person to almost call it out and say, hey, why don't we think of doing something else or at least in addition, right? Let's do it in addition to this. So I want to back up a little bit, Kelsey, because you mentioned a few words that I think are very important for this conversation. You mentioned privilege, you mentioned microaggression. So just to kind of set the stage, what does this even mean? And how is this experience? And I definitely can share my own experience with this too. But what is it? What does this mean? Yeah, so I would encourage y'all if you want to learn more about privilege specifically, if you Google the privilege walk, there's this amazing video um, of a group of students, the teacher will call out different things and say, you know, did you grow up in a two parent household? Mm -hmm. Are you a legal resident of um, the country that you live in? Did you have food on the table every night? There's so many small things that we don't realize are privileges that we've been afforded. I don't have to sit and think about what to do with my hair or to hide tattoos or to hide that I'm a mother or all of these things before I step in the door and go to work every day. And a lot of other people do have to have those. We all have different levels of privilege. And so it's how we can, instead of sitting and feeling bad, and I'm not going to have some pity party about myself and feel like I'm a horrible person. It's instead saying, how can I utilize that and use the fact that I don't come into the beginning of the workday already exhausted because of all the covering I'm having to do, hiding parts of my identity to fit into whatever this corporate structure is, changing the way I talk, the way my hair is, the way my outfits are, whatever. And how can I use that to then create that workplace that I want for everybody, right? So then how can I use that to go and help others? So that's just um, kind of a, a baseline example of privilege. And again, check out that video online. It's old. It's a little... Um, pixely, but it's a really good example. And then microaggressions are kind of brief and commonplace, verbal or nonverbal, um, little slights and attacks on people. We might not realize that we're doing them. Um, so an example of a microaggression could be me saying, oh, wow, you speak English so well to Jessica, right? Which is a horrible thing to say. And that is me in this unconscious bias, making this assumption that, oh, because you're an Asian woman, you would have an accent and you're not from this country, right? That's a horrendous thing to say. And you might not be coming from, in your mind, a bad place, but those are microaggressions that come up. Or um, again, to use the example of a Black woman in the room in a, in a meeting, and she has an idea and she goes and pitches it in a meeting, um, and for someone else to label her as aggressive in her presentation, right? There's a lot of labels that are attributed to different groups that need to be righted. And these things are things that we need to teach ourselves and unlearn. There's a lot to be unlearned um, that, again, you might not in your heart come from a bad place, but those are just ways that we've been exposed to different things and, and taught these biases. So there's tons and tons of books um that I would recommend I have a pile next to me that I brought just in case you want me to flash up different examples of things but um yeah those are kind of loose definitions of those two concepts so you gave some very good examples 
you know, you mentioned me, like if somebody said, oh, wow, Jessica, you speak great English or were you born in this country, right? You know, it's like things like that. And you gave some other examples. So my question is, if we are ever in a situation like that, where yes, the other person had no ill will or bad intention of saying those things, they were maybe just genuinely curious. How do we address those situations? Do we say, what are you talking about? Or why would you say that? Like, how can we approach this conversation now? Do we address it? And how do we do it? Yeah, so there's different ways you can approach it, but definitely a great one is, what makes you say that? <laughs> right? Just call it out. What makes you say that? Why would you say that? If someone else sees that happening in a meeting and then you're going to catch that person and then that person's going to go, oh, whoa, that is not okay. Why did I just say that? And then that can allow them to engage in that dialogue with you and have that restorative justice moment. Um, but just kind of calling it out or even questioning that, or, you know, you can say, that's not cool. That is not okay. Maybe you say it directly in that moment in front of people, maybe pull them to the side and do it after it's kind of up to you. But, um, I think it's important to call out those things and you can just ask a very simple question. Like, why would you say that? Just kind of stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, when I think about the communications part of it, of engaging these kind of conversations, I, I do think tone is a really important part of it, right? You know, for you, Kelsey, you're like, you know, just call it out, right? And I think for some people, that is totally their style. And they'll be like, you know, I'm not afraid of saying that. But for some people who are like, oh, my gosh, like, I, I want to address it, but I don't know how, I always will say to folks, you know, just be mindful of your tone, right? You know, it's more about using it as a teachable moment. For many for, for many folks right it's like hey i just want to let you know you know just because i am asian american because you know i have black hair right you know because i'm asian it doesn't necessarily mean that i wasn't born in this country in fact i was born and raised in california right so it's kind of like almost educating them but doing it in a way that shows like hey i just want to let you know you know um just be mindful right and i think just again it's not shaming other people by, you know, making them feel bad that they said that because, you know, knock on wood, most of the time these conversations are happening with no ill will, right? But again, just using it as a teachable moment, I think is a great opportunity for all of us. And whether you want to do it in front of other people or do it, do it, do it on the side, I mean, I'm more of the type of person who would probably want to engage in these kind of conversations, just like one on one, because, you know, it's just, that's my style. But I don't know, do you have any other tips, Kelsey, with this? Well, I think an important thing to note as well. So let's say that microaggressive comment happened towards you. I should not assume that it is your responsibility to go and call out that person because you're the one receiving these comments and they're happening to you, I'm assuming all the time and they're not okay. And you kind of just get slowly. That's why they're like the tiny cuts, the microaggressions, mm -hmm. they're micro cuts that just come at you all the time and they slowly wear you down and you don't necessarily feel comfortable or you're too exhausted to go and confront them. So that's where it's, I can step in and do that, right? This is me using my privilege to pull that person aside and say, hey, you made this comment towards Jessica. I just wanted to ask what made you say that and you know, kind of get your thinking on that and, and see if we could change that going forward. It might be worth apologizing, whatever it is. Like that's something that I can step up and do and not make that assumption that, oh, it's fine. You know, Jessica can handle it. Like she'll, she'll go and talk to that person, whatever. Um, Cause a lot of times it doesn't happen. I mean, I've, I, yeah, I get tons of, I have um, RBF resting bitchy face. And so I have a lot of people that have told me, I've had managers in the past saying, you need to smile more. You need to be more friendly appearing in meetings and calls and stuff. 
um, which is ridiculous, but I get too exhausted to fight back about that. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's like different things that people can step in and, and speak up on and in different ways. Maybe you send them an email, maybe send them a note, maybe it is one-on-one -on, -one on the side. Maybe it's a quick call out in the room, different ways to communicate the approach. So right now, I just want to do a quick reset. So we have over 70 of you all live right now and joining us in this conversation. And it is so fantastic. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about is I do think there's a lot of the reason why we have so much of this like friction, right, is, is because of these assumptions that we make. And, you know, when I whenever I come in and I do speaking engagements, I, I speak at, at a lot of ERGs and a lot of folks and I speak with a lot of like um, Asian ERGs and a lot of folks, you know, say, and this is just, you know, and it's, you don't want to generalize, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Asian folks, they're, they're so quiet. You know, Asian people are just so quiet in meetings, you know, how can we encourage them to speak up more and participate more? And I always tell folks, you know, yes, maybe, maybe Asian folks are generally more quiet, but when they're quiet, it's, you are assuming that they're not engaged, but maybe we have to break that assumption that they're not engaged. We have to break the assumption that it's they're not engaged in the meeting, but maybe it's just that the way they think is different. The way they process information is different. And I think the point I'm trying to make with this story is I think we all have to do, you know, we can all expand our own ideas of how people need to behave, they need to talk, they need to participate, right? And this goes back to the inclusive environments that we can all create in, in meetings, for example, because that's, you know, for a lot of us, we're always in these meetings. And when we look around to our teammates, you know, those who are participating, those who aren't participating, you know, we have to be quick to, to even just acknowledge ourselves like, oh, do we think because Jessica's more quiet that she doesn't care? No, maybe she's just, again, processing things differently. And then for you as a person who's observing this, you have to also be able to acknowledge yourself like, oh, I shouldn't make that assumption, right? And I do think this is part of that inclusivity conversation, which this also links back to that course that I that was just released this week. It's, you know, how can we be more mindful also of the assumptions that we make of other people? But Kelsey, so one of the things I wanted to ask you is this idea of building more inclusive meetings, meetings where, yes, maybe there are more quiet folks there. Oftentimes we're in meetings where it's usually the loudest person who dominates the conversation. So how can we be mindful of creating an inclusive meeting environment? Yeah, and that brings us to the topic of neurodiversity, too, which is also a marker and, you know, one of the. Um, parts of DEI, uh, the book Quiet by Karen, uh, by Susan Cain. I really recommend this one. This is really great for neurodiversity and looking at more introverted thinkers. Mm -hmm. The way that our meetings are structured is entirely for the loud extrovert. You come into a meeting, you don't necessarily know what it's about, what's going to be asked of you, what you're supposed to talk about. And you've got a couple of dominant voices just going at it in the room and everyone else is sitting quiet and doesn't have time to process the information and collect their thoughts and share or feel safe sharing, or maybe someone does share and their ideas get taken by somebody else or shut down, whatever that is. So how we structure our meetings needs to change. Can you not send questions that you want people to think about ahead of time and say, hey, this is the point of this meeting. This is what we're going to talk about. Here's some stuff to read. 
look at the deck ahead if you want. If you don't want, that's fine. But to give that option for people who think a little bit differently and say, this is what we're going to talk about, then you can start the meeting having a rotational um, person that does the housekeeping of the meeting is really important. So normally the person who schedules the meeting, takes the notes, maybe orders the lunch, that's generally given to women. So you'll see that's often a role that there um, is getting pushed onto them. So instead, how can that be rotational? Can there be a person that's assigned to have that housekeeping role every month and it switches so that that's more evenly distributed? And then that person can also be the moderator of the meeting. So if you do have a dominant voice and you can see the body language, maybe someone, if it's on Zoom, maybe someone unmutes themselves, maybe they lean forward, mm -hmm. you can see they're interested in talking, but that other dominant voice just keeps going. And so then that person puts himself back on mute, sits back again, disengages. Um, as the moderator, you can say, thank you so much, Bob, for sharing. You know, it looked like Jessica was interested in saying something, Jessica, do you, do you have something you want to share, right? Like, can I, can I put that loud person on pause and give that space for somebody else? Or um, maybe everybody puts in their ideas and you put them all into a Slack group or you write them down on paper and put them in the middle and the moderator will pull up the ideas and say them and then give that space for people to share. So you can just structure your meetings a little bit differently. Um, that concept is called brain writing. I think Amazon does it a lot. I've read about that. So you can look up that one too. Um, or dream writing, brain writing is something like that. Um, and then another one, again, these microaggressions are happening in those meetings. So if you have an idea that you raise, it kind of goes ignored. Minutes go by. Bob says your idea five minutes later and everyone's like, great idea, Bob. I, you know, as someone else sitting in the meeting could go, um, yeah, thanks, Bob. I really like that idea of when Jessica brought that up earlier right? I'm taking that credit and assigning it back to you because that was your idea. And this other person echoed it later and then they're going to get their credit for it. And that's going to impact again, future opportunities and promotions. So how can I change that and give that back to you? How can I help open up the floor for other people? How can I give introverted thinkers the time and space to think about their ideas before coming into the meeting so that they can contribute evenly? There's very tangible ways that you can change the structure of your meetings. Um all the examples you just gave are so fantastic. You know, you mentioned giving credit where credit is due, right? If you notice somebody else suggested something and perhaps at that time, nobody mentioned anything, but suddenly somebody else said the exact same thing. Everybody's like, wow, great. But you're like, wait a second. It was the other person who said that first, you know, you calling it out and saying, you know, Kelsey, that was actually a really good idea or, you know, just mentioning it. And I think that is part of building that, you know, subtle, inclusive environment and helping other people build credibility for those who might have a harder time doing so, right? And I think it takes, you know, subtle things like that. Um, one of the ways, one of the things I talk about in this course, the speaking up for yourself and underrepresented groups is how we can also pave the way for, again, the more quiet types to, to actually speak up, right? If you have a good relationship with that person and you know they might struggle with saying stuff in meetings, you know, you can even say like, oh, Hey, Kelsey, I know we talked about this, but I, you know, this topic, and I know you had a great suggestion. Would you be able, or would you want to share it with the folks here? So sometimes even just like paving the path for folks to speak up, because yeah, sometimes it can be very intimidating when, especially in a virtual meeting, when people are just talking over each other, it's so easy to just kind of hide behind our screen sometimes. Now, one of the things that we, that you mentioned earlier about um, moderating, I truly think being a great manager, being a great leader is knowing how to better moderate meetings. 
And I mean, would I call it a skill? I don't know. Would you call it a skill? Absolutely. A skill, right? Yeah. You know, because moderating can be done well and not well. True. So that is a skill. Yeah. I, I moderate so many meetings. And part of the reason why I moderate them is because I'm hosting these meetings and I am doing these workshops, for example. And I usually, and this is also the thing, I usually ask people to have their cameras on because when you have the camera on, you can see folks as well. So you can tell, like you said, sometimes you can notice people are doing these subtle body language movements of, leaning in because they want to say something, right? And so you as a leader, as a manager, when you can clue into that, then you can be like, oh, hey, I just saw, you know, Jessica, was there something that you wanted to say? So I often, as well for myself, I often will say, oh, hey, Jessica, I know, I know you're about to say something and I'll give them, I'll give them though, essentially the room to speak, essentially. But I do think these are small little tactics that, that we can all, all implement. So there are some questions and comments, Kelsey, that are coming in that I, I do want to get to because I think, first of all, thank you all for letting us know your thoughts and comments and questions. So there's one question, and I think this is interesting. Um, so somebody's asking, how do you approach a meeting when you know that there are favorites? So like, let's say there's a manager and you know that they like particular folks more than other and, and they may give those folks more airtime or speaking time. I'm curious, Kelsey, how do you even manage something like that when there are clear favorites on the team? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff comes down to having open communication and trust with people on your team and your managers. And unfortunately, in a lot of situations, employees don't have that. And that's why I work really hard to build really strong manager training to educate them and help them um, have those two really strong foundations. So if you are an individual on the team and you don't necessarily trust your manager and there's other favorites that are on the team, are there a couple peers that you have that are in that meeting in that room that you do trust? And can you chat with each other and say, hey, I'm really struggling getting my point across in this meeting, um, but I want to be able to share. Do you think you could help me get that floor and help me kind of step up and, and claim that space in this meeting, like go in on it together. Um, if you do feel comfortable talking to your manager or whoever it is that moderates the meeting on the side beforehand and say, you know, I've been having trouble contributing. It feels like there's an uneven sharing, whatever that is, you know, see if you can have that dialogue. Sometimes Unfortunately, we don't always trust our managers and, you know, that's a, a, a larger issue. Um, but yeah, I think just talking to people and seeing how they can kind of help make that space with you is helpful. And um, another point that I wanted to just quickly make about um, giving credit to people in meetings, it's also important to do that even when you're not in the room. Like even if it was your idea and Bob went and reiterated it. If he does that in another meeting that you're not in, it is still really important for me to say, oh yeah, Jessica brought up that idea at our last meeting, right? Continuing to make sure that that credit is assigned to the rightful owner, because again, it is going to have impacts on who's getting promotions. Because if Bob continues to get that credit, he's going to continue to move up and you're not going to get those opportunities that were taken from you. 
I do a lot of speaking engagements on the topic of advocating for ourselves, right? It's like thinking of how do we talk about our accomplishments? How do we show up in the workplace? How can we confidently communicate? But I often say, you know, it's, it's the times when you're actually not in the room and what people are saying about you that really make the difference and how people will perceive you. Of course, advocating for ourselves and talking about all the amazing work that we all do every day is important. But, and I think this is where establishing relationships with folks and build, having that trust is so important because, like you mentioned, Kelsey, you know, when you notice somebody in, who's not in the room and somebody else is perhaps taking credit for that person's work, you know, you as a person, you can advocate for them too, right? You can say, oh, that was actually. Bob's idea, or that was actually Susan's idea, right? I think that's also a form of advocating, but it's not necessarily advocating for ourselves. It's other people advocating for us. I I want to pivot just a little bit. I know we have a lot of folks who are in L and D and in the DEI space. So I and because Kelsey, I know you're in this space as well. I want to open this question up to you. How can folks who are in this space better support each other? And this can leverage maybe some of the experience that you've had, but Kelsey, how can folks who are in this realm better support each other and possibly enhance the work that they do at their own individual organizations? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think a lot of what companies do is push a lot of the responsibility off onto ERGs and then HR, L&D, recruiting, they kind of either look at how do we focus on DEI at the recruiting stage, and then there's kind of this big gap of nothing, and then we dump all the responsibility on ERGs, our employee resource groups, so they're identity groups that employees can um, participate in. So maybe you have an Asian American one, LGBTQ one, um, women at, veterans, whatever. So those are just safe spaces for employees to come together and um, have events and different things. Um, They're important, but that's not their responsibility to make the company more inclusive. It's all of our responsibility. And so I think a a big piece that can actually impact that inclusive space, the most of any program that we build in HR L&D is our feedback program. So women and especially women of color receive far less feedback in general and far less helpful feedback than men, which again, impacts stretch assignments and future promotions. So how can we remove the bias from that and make sure that feedback that's happening is helpful, is free of microaggressions, is very specific to tangible things. The book Radical Candor has some really great examples of a situation behavior impact method. So go check out that book if you're interested in that subject. And then looking at coaching and mentoring. So we kind of hang out and are drawn to people who are similar to us. So if I'm just going to go and hang out with a bunch of white ladies, that's going to continue to just build more white ladies in leadership, which is not really getting us anywhere. Um, So how can you reach out to other people in the organization who look different than you? Have an interest in their interests. Learn about what other people are interested in. Just because they're interested in something different than you doesn't mean that that's bad or wrong. Like forge those relationships with other people. And mentorship is not just... Um, in terms of age, because ageism is a big thing too. There are tons of things that senior execs can learn from me and vice versa. So that, that mentorship, I call them mentor moments, those need to happen in all directions, which again, impacts your ability to have 
that networking, those future stretch assignments to have those people speak about you as sponsors when you're not in the room, as you're saying, like, that's a big thing is, Hey, I heard Kelsey was doing this program. This is this great thing. That's going to help me continue to launch up. And then looking at performance management programs too, there is so much bias in our performance management programs and the feedback that does or doesn't happen there, the favoritism that happens there. Again, who's getting those promotions, what the compensation increases look like if those issues are happening um, across the board in specific departments. If you look at the engineering team, you say, hey, there's two female engineers on the team and they make way less money than the dudes. What are we doing? Why is, why is that happening, right? Sitting and looking at these things and calling them out. So how we structurally build those programs that sit on the other side of the people operations house can have tremendous DEI impacts just by the way that you structurally design those programs. They're built to reduce those biases and continue to increase the inclusion, belonging, um, equity, all those things. A great one if there's anyone here that's in finance thing that's really a pet peeve for me. Why does the sales team who makes probably the most money out of any department, which I know because I can look at, you know, all of our people's um, salaries, why do they get to expense their cell phones and no one else does? Most of the time they are on calls on a platform that was paid for by work. And most of our phone plans are unlimited talk and text, except for international. So I can understand like expense those individual international calls. But instead of saying, here's this huge $10,000 a month budget that we're just giving this extra perk just to sales, can we be more equitable about that and say, hey, if you're working from home and you need to increase the internet bandwidth to be able to do your job better, and that's not an expense you can afford, we'll cover that for you. Let's reallocate that money to something more helpful for people that's actually going to make a bigger impact. Right. So there's different ways that you can partake in these programs and you're not necessarily in my job, right. but you can still have that impact. You know, I feel like the underlying theme to a lot of the things that we're talking about is just having that consideration and just that awareness that I get it. Sometimes it's hard, right? You know, we are all just knee deep in getting the work done. We have, we are thinking about our own objectives or to do's, right? That it's hard to just step back and be like, wait, what else is happening here? But I do think just when we feel that something is off or when we literally explicitly see it, and it's just like having that consideration, you know, bringing it up, you know, finding a place where, you know, you're comfortable doing it is incredibly important. You know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, building out trainings and, and you, the first thing that you said was like feedback training. And it actually made me smile because we're working with a large, uh, financial institution right now to build out this communications feedback training as part of their HR program, because one of the new initiatives that they had was they want their employees, especially their managers to give better feedback to their employees, because that's kind of like, you know, that's where the gap is, right? It's like, you, you want your employees to improve, but you're really not giving consistent feedback, or you're not really doing it in a way where people understand what the heck can they do better? So there's that gap. So they actually had this thing where they're now almost requiring regular feedback sessions that they're, they're wanting their employees to give to their team. But the thing is they realize, even though they're almost mandating it, they actually don't know how to do it. So like we're essentially coming in, we're filling in that gap. And one of the other things that I've noticed, cause I, I do 
work with a lot of folks in this field is that sometimes folks think kind of like a one and done training is enough too. And I, I completely disagree. I think if we are in the learning space, it's that repetition. It's that reoccurring. And I get it. We're busy, but, you know, figuring out a time that makes sense, but reoccurring is how things stick. So, you know, a lot of times people are like, okay, just come in and do a one, one hour training. And it's like, yes, I can give you all the tips, but then unless you have that accountability, I feel like people easily forget this. I don't know if you felt the same way, Kelsey. Yeah. So learning in the flow of work, shout out to Josh Burson. If you don't follow him, he's an HR industry analyst. I think the man's a genius. I would love to live inside his brain for a week. Um, He just um, posted his 2023 predictions report, but it's all about learning in the flow of work and how you can integrate these tangible tips and behavioral change. So the structure of how those programs are actually built that kind of corral you into acting in that certain way, thinking in that certain way, doing those certain changes. Another great behavioral change book is by Katie Milkman, How to Change. Um, So it's the education is important, but it needs to be combined with those tangible ability to practice it. It's all about practice and repetition. And the way that I designed feedback programs at my last company, I did what was called top twos. So every other month, it started with every month and then employees were like, whoa, that's too much. So let's pivot because, you know, I'm just constantly innovating and trying to do something different and take on feedback and what works and what doesn't. So you talk about two things that went well and two things that can be improved upon. But most importantly, that feedback goes both ways because managers still have stuff that they need to work on too. The learning journey is never done. Mm -hmm. And I think by making it two specific things you can try to remove some of those personalizations and microaggressions, right? The feedback I always get is about, you need to be more friendly and you need to you know, smile more and use more emojis in your emails and whatever. So instead you're realizing, oh, I'm actually saying some kind of microaggressive personal attacks to Kelsey that have nothing to do with her actual performance or like the situation and an actual thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So instead you can use that SBI model again from, um, the radical candor book to say, you know, on our, on our webinar today, um, the specific questions that you asked were a little closed ended instead of open ended. So would you be able to shift them in a way that allows me to elaborate more, whatever, like having a specific piece of feedback that actually gives you something you can go and action on and then turn around and come back and have that conversation again. The only way you're going to continue to have those conversations is if you feel safe and if you trust me. So Mm -hmm. the base of every single program, communication, trust, communication, trust, just like any relationship in your life. If you don't trust your manager, you're not going to listen to this feedback. You're not going to act on it. You're not going to be able to flex that muscle and continue to break down the fear of, oh my gosh, what are they saying to me? Because feedback is scary. Our livelihood depends on our jobs. And so someone is telling you you're doing something wrong. It's terrifying. Do I feel safe? Do I feel comfortable going in and making this change and coming back and asking for assistance? You know, is that safe space there for me? Is it not? So how can you continue to build that? Make sure that people feel safe. Make sure the feedback you're giving them is removed of bias, is actually helpful, is happening regularly. Maybe you ask how they want to receive that feedback. You know, do you want to hear the feedback and you need to go sit and think about it and come back? Everyone's different. Our brains all learn differently and think differently. So how can I support that for you as an employee? I 
you mentioned the word trust and it reminds me of a story about how, you know, a while ago, before I started Soulcast Media, I had a, a great manager. And the reason why I felt like I trusted my manager so much at that old job was because I felt like he was so good at not necessarily being that manager. Like he made you feel like he would, he could open himself up to you as well. He was not afraid of being vulnerable and sharing his own struggles with his own specific work. And I felt like even though I at the time reported up to him, I just remember feeling that I could really trust him and he wouldn't necessarily he would never make me feel bad right he was a great listener very empathetic and you know I didn't I you know he wasn't my manager for very long but I I always think back to him because he was one of the few folks in my life before Soulcast Media where I'm like wow he's the kind of manager that I would want to emulate being right being open-minded being warm but also being very clear right and I think sometimes managers can be Sometimes managers can be quite harsh because they're just like, we have to do this. We have all these deadlines, you know, but, you know, he really made you feel that he took the time to really listen. And I think that's just incredibly important. Um, one question, and we're almost about to wrap up here, which is, I feel like the time just flew and it's amazing <laughs> for you all who stayed on. There's this question that, and I think this is just a good question in general. Somebody wrote, you know, first, you know, thank you for this session. It, it's, it's resonated with my own experience, but they were curious, how can we encourage our managers to set to attend programs and sessions like this? Um, they said, you know, unless they do, they may not realize that they have been showing traits of microaggression or racism. So if, if their organization isn't offering explicit, you know, trainings for this, how can we encourage other folks in our organization on our team to attend sessions or, or watch courses, for example, how can we better do that? Yeah, you could do a training rotation if you wanted. So you could have a topic and go to your manager and say, Hey, I just did a course on this, you know, my LinkedIn learning course or read a book or whatever it was. And um, thought this topic was really interesting and wanted to present it to the team to continue to educate everybody. Cause it's all about learning new skill sets and continuing to um, advance in that. So can you present that? to the team, like do an actual um, lunch and learn is what we call them at an old company. And you can do it rotationally. So you could be the one to start and then maybe other people will be interested and say, hey, you know, here's another book I was looking at reading. Does anyone else want to read it with me? Or just trying to encourage people in that way. But I think presenting that information in a learning session with the team is a great way to like kind of force them, but then kind of maybe get them intrigued and make them feel like they should, you know, carry on and, and continue to look at those things. Or maybe there was a documentary you watched over the weekend and you go talk about that, um, you know, in your group chat and say, hey, watch this. It was super interesting. Would love if anyone else wanted to watch it and chat with me about it or whatever. You mentioned being the one proactively to suggest hosting the or hosting a training. I think that's a fantastic idea. You know, if you are part of a team and you're like, you know what, I actually would think it's a great idea for all of us together to do some sort of training, right? If you're all up for it, you know, you can essentially put together just a mini, a mini workshop of sorts, or you can compile information for you to distribute to the team to watch. But Yes, sometimes if you want change to happen, it may fall on you to get it started first. So it's okay, right? It's just kind of like, you know, 
you having to do it. And then you kind of get the rest of your team, your manager into that right mindset. You know, I'm biased, but, you know, LinkedIn learning is a huge, <laughs> amazing resource because, you know, Kelsey and I were both LinkedIn learning instructors. And of course, there's tons of amazing, amazing resources there. But um, I mean, here at Soulcast Media, we also have a lot of communication specific resources for for folks who want to individually level up their communications as well as also improve their team communications. So we're about to wrap up here. And I think this conversation just, oh gosh, it just flew by. But Kelsey, as we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts that you would love to share with our audience in regards to DEI and communications as they think about the rest of the day, the week, the month, what any... I call them golden nuggets. Any golden nuggets you'd love to share with our audience here today? Yeah, just a little recap. You know, be thoughtful about your interactions in meetings and how those are structured, the things that are being said, who's getting the credit, if people are receiving microaggressions, um, what can you do to step in with that? Maybe you're not comfortable or ready yet. Could you just pose a question? What made you say that? Um, so just kind of thinking about your little go-to keywords, or maybe, you know, you can check out my course. I've got, it's called how to be more inclusive on LinkedIn learning. There's a lot more little nuggets on there. Um, continue to educate yourself and read and learn things. I've got, I mean, genuinely, I read piles and piles and piles of books. Go to the sociology section of your bookstore. If you're into that, I've got books on ageism, on accents, on the private prison system, on race, on gender. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, just continue to have other media that you expose yourself to. PBS is the most underrated platform. They have amazing programs, truly. I am a PBS Passport member. Um, you know, I just sat and watched a series about the Black church and learned so much more about that. Or I watched a series on Native American basket weaving. I mean, there's genuinely so many things that you can continue to reframe how you think about things and learn things and people's experiences. So, you know, intake media of people who look different than you, because that's a really great way to expose it. Talk to people who are different than you at work, get to know them, get to know their interests. Um, maybe you get someone else at work or a friend that's interested in learning more about these topics, you know, pick a webinar, go attend it together, chat about it, read a book together, watch a documentary. You know, there's different ways to just continue to learn. Don't be overwhelmed. I know it's overwhelming and there's a lot to learn, but there are very tangible things that you can do and continue to educate yourself and become a more well-rounded and inclusive person. <laughs> And with that, I think that's such a great point. It's, you know, diversifying the content also that we consume, you know, for all of you who are here today, you know, Kelsey and I, we appreciate you for joining in on this conversation and you just listening or watching. I think this is so valuable because you are also allowing yourself to think, okay, DEI communications and whether you realize it or not, you know, it's, it's something that will stay you know, and before you know it, it may just come up randomly without you even necessarily knowing. So with that, Kelsey, I want to say thank you so much for spending your early afternoon with us. But more importantly, thank you all for joining in on this conversation. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe 
get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn, and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out, and happy communicating. Thank you.